This is Corporate Cafecito, where we discuss career development and entrepreneurial growth strategies. I'm Mario Rodriguez. Y yo soy Nayeli Suarez-Guez. Go get your cafecito and let's talk about professional growth. Welcome back uh, to another episode of Corporate Cafecito. I am Mario Rodriguez. Y yo soy Nayeli Suarez-Guez. And today we have a special guest from Constellation uh, Brands, Carlos Butler Valle. Vale. Valle. Vale. 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 All right. I'll go with whatever. I'm a name sticker, so it's Vale. So welcome, Carlos. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. So tell our audience a little bit about who Carlos is and what do you do? Oh, my gosh. Well, for my work, I am the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Constellation Brands. Uh, globally. So we have operations in the U.S. and Mexico and Italy and New Zealand. And so uh, really my job is to obviously work through the corporate strategy in terms of ensuring that we're really thinking about DEI embedded into our strategy for our business. And then, of course, making sure that folks are supported um, as we continue along our DEI journey path. Excellent. What do you have you, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah. What have you seen most recently, let's say in the last 10 years of, of the work that, that has been needed and how far we've come with DEI? Yeah, you know, the work has obviously shifted, I would say even in the last five years, right? And so the reality is, you know, since the George Floyd murder, I think it's really, I think it's really pushed companies to either take a stand. Yeah, uh, make and, statements. Yeah, absolutely. It's either, you know, I think for a long time, companies felt like they could sort of sit on the sidelines. And it, it's it wasn't good or bad. It was just, I think... You know, so a few things, George Floyd and then, of course, COVID, I think mm-hmm. really forced corporations to, to to your point, you know, to make a statement, to take a stand. And so that alone in the last five years, I think, has been really disruptive in a positive way for the DEI work. Um, I also think that it's become more of an evolution to the fact that DEI, the teams really focus work as centers of excellence to ensure that we're embedding DE&I work into everything that we're doing. And that it's not just DE&I or the DE&I team that is the messenger for the work, but really ensuring that this is being messaged from the top down and also really activated from the bottom up. So it's part and of the th- culture. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. for a long time, it was it really, DEI almost always felt like the remit of just the DEI team. And I think um, the wise corporations are really starting to to understand that it's not just something that you can relegate to typically either departments of one or relatively smaller departments. But this is truly work that, ha- that everybody has to engage in. Has there yeah. been an evolution on the development of, of the workforce itself? And, and just to kind of, because equity is that E for those that yeah. don't know, let's define that DEI. Yeah. Because I don't think many, many listeners are, are, are prone to, to acronyms. So what, what does DEI stand for? Let's yeah. do that. So diversity is, is sort of who's at the table, right? And so ensuring that you've got those diverse perspectives, you know, and, and it's not just, you know, race, ethnicity, a lot of the things that we sort of tend to think about when we think about diversity, but it's also more increasingly about diversity of thought and perspectives. Um, Equity, you know, if you've probably seen some of the cartoons, you've got folks that are trying to watch a baseball game and if they all have the same, if they're all different heights, but they all have the same size box, it doesn't really work. And so the equity portion is really 
ensuring that folks have the resources to have a level playing field so that they're all getting equitable access Mm -hmm. to this information. And then really the inclusion part is, to me, I think a really critical part of the work, which is, they're all critical, obviously, um, but the inclusion part is, it's not just having that, it does does us nothing if we have that diverse perspective at the table, if we're not actually going to create the spaces uh, Mm -hmm. and opportunities for you to really be able to leverage those perspectives. You know, I, I, one, I, you know, I fangirl over you, Carlos, because I I love (laughs) everything. (laughs) I do a lot of research on DEI because I think it's really important. I love that you are a standalone group, right? Because sometimes I I feel like companies put it under HR or they make someone do it. And then it just, it doesn't feel like they're living the, the message. Um, so Carlos and I met at, at a networking event and I was already coaching at Constellation Brands and I was just like, it is so nice to see like a Latino in such an important role. And I think when you have a Latin in this kind of position, like you're our advocate, yeah, right? right? Like you're, you're our voice in there. Uh, when Carlos and I were talking the other day, he mentioned that he goes to Mexico and I was like, man, I can't even imagine how their hearts feel to see someone who looks like them and speaks their language leading something like this for such oh, a big company. I don't even know if there was a question there if I'm just like, oh my God, Carlos, I love you. Well, I, I'm, I'm, glad you I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, because it is it is true. Um, you know, for a long time, well, first and foremost, I think I shared with you that over half of our employee population globally is actually based out of Mexico. Yes. Mm-hmm. We run the world's largest brewery in Nava and we have the second, one of the other really big breweries in, in Obregón and actually have broken ground recently in a third brewery in Veracruz. Mm -hmm. And so that means that our population, our employee population in Mexico is only set to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when you think about the fact that it's already over 50%, that's, that's pretty major. And although I'm not Mexican, uh, the connection, that Latino connection is still there. And I remember being asked when I first started, if I can go to, um, to our biggest brewery, uh, Nava, and there's roughly around anywhere between three to thousand employees or so that are there. And to give a hour and a half long conversation around DE and I in Mexico in a really traditional space. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, very Catholic, very sort of, you know, traditional kind of patriarchal kind mm-hmm. of, you know, yeah. uh, kind I of, grew up in that house. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I was nervous, you know, because. First of all, I had never spoken for an hour and a half in Spanish my entire life, <laughs> even though I've spoken Spanish forever, but yeah. but professionally. Yeah. But then I was like, you know, I, I, there were probably 700 employees that were there and then lots of other folks were, were logging in, mm-hmm. you know, virtually and, and they were, you know, alternating because, of course, you've got to keep operations running. And my biggest thought, fear was someone's going to walk out or someone's going to start protesting because you just never know. And here I am talking about the fact that I'm gay, the fact that I'm Latino, the fact that I'm Puerto Rican, like just even just really putting it all out there. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on? And I think that, and, and if anything, I was embraced and I thought that that was fantastic. It was amazing. And people stayed longer than, than, than we should have because it was such a great conversation. And I think a lot of it was because it was somebody that represented them in such an important way that really, I think, created more of that sense of camaraderie and also support. Yes. So I, and I'm glad. And actually, I've been invited back two other times since. So. 
Yeah. I, I think uh, you, know, you brought up Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking Spanish in, for an hour and a half. It's really like I grew up speaking Spanish. And then when I have to speak to Spanish uh, business owners or 100% in Spanish, I'm like, how do I say this word? Oh how do I do? And so it takes um, almost as much preparation as if I was giving a presentation in English to be 100%. like, okay, what are the words? I actually bought a book. For business Spanish, uh, just just in case let's if you ever that. need yeah, it, yeah. Let's that. <laughs> we'll need that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, with uh, with equity being at the forefront, you know, we talk about the little boxes and watching the baseball game. A lot of those things I see improving mm-hmm. for our for la raza for everybody. Yeah. You know, and I I love that. You know, one of the interesting stats I saw was that availability of health insurance was one of the key drivers for equity because it dictated how you took care of your health and if you did your physicals every year. And I was like, I would have never thought about that. But, you know, equity is about finding the starting line for everybody, but knowing everybody's starting at a different spot. Yeah. How do you help massage that so that you can bring equitable opportunities for everybody? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I've realized is... No matter, no matter who or what, with DE and I work most like most other things. I think there's a head and a heart approach, mm-hmm. and working with leaders, I've realized that you usually have to start with kind of the head approach, even if you know that the heart is there, because I think folks are having to make decisions all the time, you know, in a data driven sense, and it's no different with DE and I. Yeah, the difference is that we didn't have DE&I metrics for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff that's coming out now related to equity and particularly women's equity or even racial equity is stuff that's still newer, but it's the kinds of things that you're talking about that don't necessarily speak directly to, to some of those, but are definitely contributing factors, right? Yeah. And so, um, for example, Illinois just passed a law that gave every requires everybody to have at least forty hours of pay time off. Of pay time off. Mm-hmm. And you know, while that may probably put some stress on on business owners, certainly in the short run, the reality is that if you're afraid, if you especially if you're an hourly worker, if you're afraid of not being able to make ends meet because you have to go to work, even if you're sick, not feeling well because you can't make that appointment to the to the, to doctor. the you yeah. know to the doctor, doctor or anything yeah. else like that that ultimately will have consequences. Um, And so I I think one of the things that I've done is really try to look at the periphery and figure out what are some of the things that are contributing factors that are putting people kind of in in a worse position. At a previous company that I was working at, for example, we started looking at not names, but just the ethnicities of people that were borrowing against their 401ks. And this is right at the peak of the pandemic. And why that mattered to us was because we started to realize that there was a pattern there of underrepresented folks borrowing from their 401k at a significantly higher rate than their white counterparts. And part of the issue then became that these folks started getting penalties because they weren't actually being able to pay that money back back within a certain amount of time. And in some cases, there were... And so that there's a number of factors there that contribute to the behavior, but also a number of mitigating factors that you can engage in, right, or initiatives that you can engage in around 
for example, additional financial education for those folks um, and helping them understand that there may be other resources that may not necessarily be borrowing against your 401k that could lead to a similar outcome. Yes. And, and that's, I think, where the equity starts to come in because for a long time, even for myself, I'm a, I, I mean, my nephews are first generation, right? So I was born in Puerto Rico, came out here. My parents are sort of the money under the money under the sofa, money under yeah. the bed type people. <laughs> yeah. And so they don't know anything about investing. They don't know anything about 401ks or what it or what it's like to do that. And so I'm already coming into it a, a few steps behind. And that's where I think corporations actually do have greater opportunities to be able to support their employees, particularly uh, their black and brown employees. We're going to refresh our cafecito. While we do that, visit our website, corpcafecito.com, for more information on how to contact Mario or me. Did you take paternity leave? I did. And actually, that was uh, an interesting, um, it, it was interesting going into it. And I got to give Constellation credit for that because when I first was going through the negotiation process, mm-hmm. um, the the policy was that you had to be there at least a year before you were eligible for paternity leave. And um, I said, I, I as well intended as that might be, and I understand that that might not be your restriction. Mm-hmm. The reality is that people don't plan their families right. around, you know, when my year anniversary is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was able to negotiate that into, you know, part of the process, but it spurred a conversation around the fairness around around that and what it was doing to potentially prevent people from joining our, you know, from 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 joining, yeah. and so we actually uh, completely said that anybody, oh, regardless awesome. of when that was, uh, was eligible for paternity leave. That's and a big so, one. Yeah, we would, and I think I enjoyed a total of it's like eight weeks, um, and it was amazing. I took some additional vacation time that I had, and it was fantastic. I got a chance to spend three months with our newborn child. That's so important. I remember. Um, working to revamp uh, the maternity leave policy at a brewer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, we need something for the guys too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm like, cause yes, like there, there's like the physical recovery, but um, I'm like, but you know, the yeah. child needs. Yeah. Day. yeah absolutely. <laughs> and so yeah. we, um, we instituted like a, a bonding leave. Yeah. I love that. And one of the things that it was, it was like, um, you didn't have to take it all at one time. You could spread it out over a year, yeah. And I, I was like, "That's that's gonna help." And I'm like, "Cause the week I went back to work was the week I needed." Yeah, you know, and absolutely. It, um, and you talk about it from an inclusion perspective. Yeah. I mean, for us as a gay couple, both men, like there was no, yeah, there no. was no physical recovery time, but we knew for a fact that we wanted to be there, be there. Yeah. and so. That made a significant difference for us, and uh, and again, it really is 
I think for me, having had gone to that ex- through that experience, it made me an even more loyal employee to the company. Uh, and we've done things since, like instituting bereavement leave for um, folks who experience miscarriages, yeah. uh, which I think is is another. You Those talk about so again hard. equity and yeah. inclusion. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think these are things that that all really matter in the end, uh, and especially when you're going through something like that. Uh, we experienced loss while we were going through our process, and so it was. It, it's just something that I think is is important and it's relevant and it allows you to be seen, especially in those moments when you don't feel super seen. And when you have those types of, you know, quote unquote programs or, mm-hmm. or things, I think it really lets you bring your whole self to work. Agreed. Because then you don't have to leave your miscarriage at home or you Absolutely. don't have to come in and like whitewash or acclimate or like acculturate into the corporate culture. Mm-hmm. It lets you be who you are. On the inside, too. Absolutely. One of the things that's been really important to us, and I think for me especially as the head of diversity, is the fact that at the end of the day, we want to make it a great place to work for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so things like paternity leave or things like, you know, bereavement leave, these are things that can be enjoyed and or, or certainly taken advantage of by by anybody right they yeah. can be leveraged by anyone and that is what ultimately and in my belief from a dei perspective that it is that it truly is that rising tide that lifts all boats yes and part of what i think we all collectively but particularly leaders of dei and i have to do is to dispel this notion that dei and i is a game of musical chairs mm-hmm. because it isn't and i think that for a lot of folks it, it can feel that way but in reality, it's this its this sort of primal sense that we engage in that the pie is only a certain size. And, you know, if, if I'm getting a smaller chunk of it, I don't care who else is getting the rest of it. I'm still getting a smaller chunk. And what we have to do is to advocate that we can actually we, – we've got all the right ingredients to make a bigger pie. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, if, if we can collectively work together, we can do that and we can all still – be able to do that. You know, what I tell my leaders is if we do this right, we will have the opportunity to add more tables and more chairs. It's not a, a matter it's of not playing a fixed musical pie. chair. It's not yeah, one absolutely. Table. It's not one table. Yeah, I love that. When you think about where DEI is going to go, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, I always, I, I always relate everything to the grocery store, right? So remember like tortilla chips were off on their own and now they're in the salty snack yeah. aisle. So do you think DEI will continue to be like a standalone initiative or do you think eventually it'll just kind of be part of the organizational norm where like there will be presence of it in each group? You know, I, I think it can be the latter, but I think we have to be really careful about that because... No matter what, I, I feel like if you if you get too comfortable into sort of embedding it and just kind of leaving it into that, then it can potentially start to lose some mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. I think, focus that has been very beneficial to the work. And so I think it's a yes and. I think it's an opportunity to to be part of the salty snacks, but mm-hmm. also have a nice little display that tells people what it is and how it stands out, you know, separate or differently than, than some of that other, than some of that other stuff. But, but ideally, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to talk about DE&I separately from talent acquisition or talent development or succession planning or executive coaching or anything else like that. I would love to be able to talk about all these things 
holistically, but it's still going to take that subject matter expertise and that level of focus to ensure that we're doing it and making sure that we're actually holding ourselves accountable to the outcomes. And I think, you know, as a Latina, if I know an organization has a DEI team, I'm going to feel more represented and more drawn to it. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I hope everybody does. You know, the reality is, again, like I said, there's just as much in this work, I think, for our our white friends. You know, I was sometimes I have to preface to people. I'm like, I have no issue with white white folks. I'm married to one. I actually really <laughs> want to make sure that he's successful too. <laughs> we need them to be successful, yeah. right? Um, and and I think for too long we've sort of talked about this work as again going back a little bit to that game of musical chairs. It's it's a this or that. And I think um, ideally it's it's a yes and. It's mm-hmm. you feeling more empowered, you feeling more seen, you feeling more, you know, included in the work, but also giving folks space to be able to do that as well, right. who who want to be allies and supporters. And, you know, to me, it's it sounds very utopian, but I, I, I do think I have seen it work and I do think it's it's the opportunity for us. What do you think makes a good ally, or how can someone be a good ally? Because I know you you've you brought up ally, and I I you know I am married to a beautiful white man myself, <laughs> um, who is more Mexican now than. I was um, say. <laughs> but um, but what is a good ally in a corporation look like? A good ally in a corporation, I think. Um, to me, I think it's that person who can see the vision of adding more tables and more chairs by simply doing what's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and and someone who is willing to be an advocate, someone, you know, I always say, and it goes for everybody, but 80% of what's said of you is said when you're not in the room, right? And so it's... It sounds like you've been having coffee with my tias. Oh, that, right? I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, well, that, that's probably like more than 80%, yeah. right? But um, we are... Tias are the same, I think, no matter what. Yeah, no matter what. Latina tias, for sure. Um, but I, I think it's it's being those people who are not afraid to to call things out, to also yeah. recognize when great things are happening and are willing to sort of walk alongside you. Uh, it's, it's an interesting balance because you have to advocate while also making sure you're not taking up too much space. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a tough to balance. It's it a, is tough, a tough, yeah. Balance. I mean, it's a it's a it's a tough equation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's for me the biggest thing that I could ever do is to make sure that I'm talking other people up, especially when they're out in the room, and 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 I think that's for me kind of table stakes entry entry level work when you're talking about allies, mm-hmm. um, and I think. Just continuous education is also an, another really important part yeah. of allyship. Thank you, Carlos. I'm a big fan of the work that you're doing. Thank you. And I feel that it is so wonderful to see a Latino advocating and like being present and, and speaking Spanish. And, you know, there's there's a warmth that comes from when you walk into a room and you see someone who looks like you. So I applaud the Thank work you. that you're doing because it's going to it's going to change the way we feel and it's going to make us also feel more open and willing to change and grow. So thank you. Um, and I'm so glad you were here so that our community gets yes. to hear about it. And, um, you know, 
Thank you so much. You know, for me, I think part of what drives the work is the fact that for so long, Latinos have been doing the work, but haven't had a chance to have a seat at the table. And I think we will only continue to be better um, as a society, corporations, right, will continue, I think, to, to perform well. If we are, if we do continue that work of ensuring that there are folks like me and you and you yeah. at these tables that are able to really provide those perspectives and ensure that we are included and that we are leveraging the best of what we bring to make better products, create you know have create better services, yes. and that's I think truly how we all win. Yeah. And I mean, if you have a seat at the table, you know, we say, un invitado invita cien. So now we all have a seat at the table. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. <laughs> that's how that's how my daughter's birthday party felt. <laughs> we started with just saying 25 and we yeah, ended up like, with like 80 people. So. <laughs> but yes, well, I'll keep that in mind yes, next time. Un invitado invita cien. <laughs> so. Well, thank you for joining thank you. us. Oh, Carlos, um, thank you. And I am Nayeli Suarez Gas. And I am Mario Rodriguez. Hasta la próxima. Corporate Cafecito was produced in beautiful downtown Oak Park at Boulevard Studio. Audio engineer and editor is Mike Mitchell. We're available on every podcast platform. 